Welcome to Saving Grace Church, located in Indiana, Pennsylvania. Our mission at Saving Grace Church is to love God, love others, and reach the world for Christ. We hope that this message brings you closer to God and helps strengthen your walk with Christ. I'm on the shoulder, please. <laughs> All right, if you have a Bible, open to Matthew chapter 6. We are continuing through the book of Matthew, and today we are at Matthew 6, and we're going to start in a moment at verse 19 and go through to verse 24. I find it in my Bible. There it is. So the, the title this morning is Invest Wisely. And the subject that Jesus is going to teach us about today is how following him relates to our money and possessions. And so just to get the gears turning, I want to ask you a couple questions. You don't have to answer them, just think about them. Right now, what are you investing? What are you investing your time and energy and resources in? What gets you most excited? There is a, a fire drill happening in Kids Cove right now. Uh, what captures your heart and affections? What do, you, what do you find your mind gravitating to if you're just thinking about things? Um, another kind of line of questioning, is it wrong to own things? Does the Bible teach some kind of uh, biblical communism? Uh, some people think that. Um, is there a line where too much money is too much? Can we have a certain amount of things but not too many things? Uh, is it wrong to enjoy the things that you own? So the big question is, what does following Jesus have to do with money and possessions? So those answers, I'm not going to answer those questions right now. We're going to get to those answers from this passage this morning. And if you're newer to the Bible, the Bible has a great deal to say about money and possessions and our heart, our affections, our desires. And so we're in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has his disciples as a larger crowd that he's instructing. He's calling them in and teaching them what it means to follow him, to trust in him and live wholeheartedly for him. And this morning section is gonna talk all about what we treasure. So look at verses 19 through 24. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So we're going to get into this whole subject of money and possessions. Let me just say a couple things at, at the outset. In the Bible, money and possessions are never the problem. 
God's not against owning personal property, homes, and if you want to hear more about that, we can talk about it. I think you make a strong biblical case against communism for sure and the ownership of property. But his concern primarily is our sinful desire and craving for things. Believing the lie that our world promotes that if I just have this one thing, if I just get this certain thing, then I will be satisfied and all will be well. And see, Jesus is after our hearts. To, to, when we trust in him, we are saved, we are forgiven, and then he is our Lord and our Savior, and he wants our affection, he wants our desire, and he alone can satisfy us. So money is never the problem. The, the fallen human heart is the problem. Listen to this passage by the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy 6. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. So the, the issue isn't money or things. It's, it's this craving, this, this desire, this coveting that the Old Testament talks about that I just want this and I want it so bad that I will choose that over following the Lord. And that's what Jesus is going to probe at this morning. Because this is a heart issue, this is an, a, an affection issue of our mind and soul, you could have a person who is a monk on an island with no possessions at all, owns nothing, who is sinning in this area, who is craving and desiring things and dreaming about things and meditating on things. So a monk on an island could be failing the test. You could have a stockbroker in Manhattan who loves Jesus and is generous with their resources who, who is obeying this passage. So it isn't how, how many dollars are in your bank account. It's what are you living for or who are you living for? See, this is a hard issue. And so we don't want to judge people if they have certain things because God alone knows where our heart and affections go. Let me just give you a few other general Bible verses on this subject. Jesus said this in the book of Mark, For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? So if you're willing to compromise your faith for the pursuit of things, money, and possessions, at the end of all of that, it's going to be a very sad reality because none of that will go with you when you die. Paul said this about his friend Demas, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. He, he left the faith. He walked away from Jesus because he loved what the world could bring and promised. The sad thing for Demas, and we don't know how the story ends, is Demas eventually would have found out that this did not satisfy, that there are eternal realities that he should have been living for and seeking. Then you might remember in the parable of the seed and the sower where Jesus gives this parable of the human heart, he says this, as for what was sown among the thorns, so this is a physical seed growing up, what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves 
unfruitful. Did you catch that? The deceitfulness of riches. If I just get this job, if I just get this house, if I just get this car, if I just get a certain number of zeros in my bank account, then I'll be, I'll be okay. And if you, you think about it, our, our world is committed to advertising and enticing every age group of things. So when you're young, it's toys. When you're older, it, it'll change and morph. It'll be your first house, then your dream house, and then your, your dream retirement, and then your dream whatever it is. Those things are not inherently wrong in of themselves. I want to be crystal clear. They can be gifts from the Lord to enjoy. But if you live for them and you're devoted to them, they're going to conflict with your devotion to Jesus. And so this is really a heart examination passage. So this brings us to the first point. Invest wisely. Do not treasure and trust in what moth and rust destroys. Do not treasure and trust in things. Uh, Jesus says it this way in verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth nor rust destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where are all... Where's all your energy going right now? Is it, is it the pursuit of this certain dream that you think will satisfy? Or is it, I'm going to work hard so I can live for Jesus and be generous and support his work and take care of those in need? What, what motivates you? Not to be too depressing this morning, but that wasn't even the depressing part yet. So here we're going to the depressing part. Think about this. Everything you own is in a slow state of decay, rust, and destruction. That's a happy thought, isn't it? Um, in preparing for this, I looked up, I was looking at random things. I thought, I wonder if there's a, a Corvette uh, junkyard graveyard. And sure enough, there is. If you Google Corvette graveyard, um, there's one. It's all these classic Corvettes that are just all rusted out and just laying in an overgrown field. And uh, it's kind of a depressing video. Uh, but Jesus' point is everything will decay. And then I saw moths, and, I, and I, then I Googled, I wonder if there's been famous paintings that have been affected by moths. And sure enough, there has been. So you can Google that, and you'll see all these different famous paintings where moths come in, and they lay eggs, and then they start to cause damage on expensive artwork. The point is, we live in a world that celebrates all these things and promises all of these things that will bring satisfaction. And, and it will not. We want to hold them loosely. We can enjoy them, but we don't want to live for them. I remember years ago, my sister got her first real job. She bought her first newer car. It was a Volkswagen, and at the time, Volkswagen had this campaign about how much fun you would have. And... Uh, her particular car ended up being a money pit. I remember her telling me at one time, she's like, I'm not having any fun at all. And she just kept spending more and more money on this car that was supposed to make her happy, and it, it didn't make her happy. The point is, if we are living for the things of this world, it's a setup. And the sooner you learn that, the better. You can enjoy it, but don't live for it. 
I don't know if you've ever cleaned out a house of someone who has passed away, but that's, a, that's an eye-opening, sobering reality that underscores this truth that Jesus is getting at. My grandfather recently passed away. He was 91 years old. And my sister and I and some other relatives have been tasked with the job of cleaning out the house. So we're going through room by room. And basically, piles go to the goodwill. Piles are given away. Uh, nothing, nothing stays. People want stuff. They grab it. Neighbors are showing up, grabbing stuff. We have free stuff out in front of his house. Everything he had is just given away. He, he took none of it with him when he passed away. None of it. The same is true for all of us. Jesus is starting with the negative news because he wants you to know and be envisioned for this great treasure that he offers. It's just not found in the things that we think it's going to be found in. See, part of following Jesus as our Lord and King is experiencing freedom in our relationship to money and possessions. You can be enslaved to money and possessions and hardly have a dollar for your name because you're, you're hoping that when you turn the corner and you get this or you get that, then you'll be good. Where the reality is once Jesus sets you free, all that he provides is, is a gift from him. Sometimes he gives you a little, sometimes he gives you a lot. You find your joy in him alone. One of the great stories of, of the New Testament, true story, is when Zacchaeus becomes a Christian. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. If you're not familiar with tax collectors, they were Jewish people that worked for Rome. So they weren't liked at all by their, their Jewish um, brothers and sisters. Um, and, and so they, they would tax, basically, their, they collect the tax for Rome, for the oppressive government that the Jewish people were living under, and they would pocket a lot of money for themselves. So that's the story, that's the backstory as we encounter uh, Zacchaeus here. So listen to this in Luke 19. He entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. I like that, it's very simple. He was rich. This guy was loaded. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into the sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass by. And when Jesus came to that place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry down and come down, for I must stay at your house. So Zacchaeus was very rich, but I think a case could be made he was probably very lonely as well. Because nobody liked him. Because he, he was, people were working hard and he was taking advantage of them and taking their money. And his, his account was growing and growing. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. The, the religious leaders like, why is Jesus at this guy's house? He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. So we don't know the details, but think corruption, think shady, think deceptive, that, that are probably all um, good descriptors of Zacchaeus. Jesus knows Jesus is coming to town. Zacchaeus sees him. Jesus comes to his house. And what we're going to see here in a moment, he transforms 
Zacchaeus' life. He grants salvation to him. And by granting him salvation, Zacchaeus' relationship with money is instantly changed. Look at verses um, 8 through 10. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if, it's a big if he has, if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Whoever I've ripped off, I'm going to give it back. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Don't be confused. Zacchaeus wasn't saved because his relationship with money changed. His, he received salvation, and that changed his relationship with money. See, encountering Jesus transforms our relationship with money and possessions. That should happen immediately when we encounter Jesus initially, but it's going to be a lifelong battle, particularly living in this country where we are bombarded with advertisements of false promises that things will make you happy. They will not. The Apostle Paul, who lived a wild roller coaster of a life as a follower of Jesus, writes this. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. For you were indeed concerned for me, but had no opportunity to give and support his ministry. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. See, Paul had learned the grace of contentment, being satisfied in his relationship with the Lord alone. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. So at times, he'd, he'd go to his bank account and there's nothing. At times, there's a lot. No matter what, he learned to be content and this verse, next verse, which has been hijacked into weightlifting somehow, uh, has nothing to do with weightlifting, has everything to do with contentment. Um, verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. The context is contentment. I can do all things. I can be satisfied in the living God when I have very little. I can be satisfied in the living God when I know those around me have way more than I do. I can be satisfied when others get promoted and I do not, when I receive disappointment. I can be satisfied when my car breaks yet again, when my roof leaks, when, when the things that I treasure start to break and fall apart because my hope is in Jesus, not the things of this world. See, when you treasure what moth and rust can destroy, or what thieves can break in and steal, your vision gets very, very clouded. This is what he's talking about in verse 22. We're going to come back to verse 20 and 21 a little bit more here in a moment. But in verse 22 and 23, Jesus is giving an illustration. And he's using the human body to illustrate his point. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. What he's talking about there is your eyeball, when it's working properly, 
it brings light into your body so you can see. If it's not working properly, you either have really clouded vision or if it's not working at all, you are blind. You can see absolutely nothing. Well, the example, he's going to go to the the spiritual reality of that. Because he says in verse 23, he's still talking about the eyeball, but if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? In other words, if we are living and treasuring the things of this world, if the things of this world have become our functional God, what we really bow down to and give our affection and attention to, then, then the whole mind and heart and soul are in darkness. There's no life. There's no joy. There's no satisfaction. Remember, Jesus is calling his followers to this life-giving, satisfying reality. And he wants them to know that there's just no life and there's darkness and death and living for things that will never, ever satisfy. Oftentimes when, when you hear the subject of money taught uh, in a church setting or in a Bible study, the, the rich young ruler comes up as well. This would be an example of, of a, an encounter that I think is often misunderstood. So I, I want us to think about this. So this is the story of the rich young ruler in the book of Mark. Listen to this. And as he was setting out his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. So he, in other words, he didn't really know Jesus' true identity yet. Verse 19. You know the commandments. So now he's quoting parts of the Ten Commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And so as he's saying this list, the the rich young ruler, check, did that, doing that, I didn't do that, I'm good there, good there. So if it's an exam, he's got 100% so far. And, And this is what he tells Jesus, verse 20. Teacher, all of these things I've kept from my youth, I have an A. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Just one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. One thing I want you to do, give it all away. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. So how this verse is often misunderstood is thinking that, well, we need to give everything away if we're going to follow Jesus. Jesus' point is you actually broke the first commandment. You have other gods before me, which is money. Your heart is tied up into your many possessions. Jesus knew that right away. And so he kind of did the setup and then brought it to a close with telling him to get rid of the stuff that really had his heart and affection. So do you see he was a very moral man But he lived for the things of this world and and couldn't open his hands. They were tight. They were clenched. He loved his stuff. There's no life there. So Jesus is not teaching that we have to give away all our possessions to be saved. He's teaching that he wants our allegiance. He wants our heart. So now let's look at the positive, which is the second and last point. 
Invest wisely. Treasure and trust in the Lord. Invest wisely. We're going to go back to verses 20 and 21. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Make your investments in things that cannot be touched by this world. So here's another way to to look at it. Heavenly treasure is moth-proof, rust-proof, decay-proof, thief-proof, economy-proof, stock market-proof, your bank-proof. Nothing can get at it if you are invested in the right things. You have a great treasure in Jesus. Here's just some things that I want you to take stock of, of your heavenly treasure. The first is you have salvation. All your sins have been forgiven because Jesus died as your substitute. You have eternal life. You are going to be with God and his people forever if you've turned from your sins and trusted in Jesus. With that salvation is new life. You're not the same you you were once were. Jesus offers you living water, a spiritual reality that you will be satisfied in a way that things and relationships and all of the things that the world holds out to you will never be able to, to satisfy. You have full and complete acceptance with God the Father. And He is your loving Father. Because of your salvation, you have joy unspeakable. You have peace that passes all understanding. As Kay's going to teach us next week, you have a Heavenly Father that knows everything you will ever need. Your salvation is secure Because Jesus purchased it. And he has given you gifts and abilities to serve him. Good works that he's prepared for you to walk in. And so it's right to use your gifts and time and talents to serve him. This is why he says in verse 24, No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other the other. You can't have two masters because one will call you one way and one will call you another way. And when they call at the same time, you're going to go one way or the other. So the question is, who's your master? Who are you living for? And so what that means, if you are following Jesus, there will be things you do and don't do with your time, money, and resources because you have your allegiance to Jesus. The opposite is also true. If money is your God, you will leave Jesus and his people behind like Demas did. Say, I'm going to go. This is an opportunity. I can make a lot of money. Maybe down the road I'll I'll give it away, but right now this is my opportunity. So I'm going to forsake God's people. I'm going to forsake God's church. I'm going to forsake serving others. And I'm just going to start socking money away and getting really wealthy. You can't serve God and money. So we all have to make a decision and many, many, many decisions throughout our lifetime. And sometimes we drift. Sometimes we need a course correction. Sometimes we need a major course correction. Sometimes we just need a little gentle. It's like a 
um, a car that just starts to, to drift off towards the white or yellow lines. We just need to be called back. Okay, no, that's right, Lord. You alone are worthy. You alone will satisfy. Let's, let's learn from some wisdom books in the Old Testament. So Solomon, who sadly at a point in his life pursued wealth and sinful relationships over the Lord, writes this in Ecclesiastes. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money. This is one of those things that I think if we're honest, we say, well, I'd like to at least try it. You know, I don't have that much money, so like, let's just give me a try. Give me a million dollars to see if it's true or not. And if it's not true, then I'll, I'll be okay. But I'd like to try it. Um, but we don't believe it. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This is also vanity. Meaning, if you get a smaller salary, but you're content, Lord, you can be really content. If you get a larger salary, but you're living for money, you are probably way more anxious, sleepless, worried about your finances than the person who has less because they are satisfied in the Lord. So you see that there is real freedom that Jesus wants to bring if we get this. So maybe this morning is an opportunity to repent. Lord, I've been drifting. I've been believing the lie. Help me to, to live for you. Here's another bit of wisdom from the Old Testament and I've seen this play out in many lives, both in this church and other Christians that I know. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fattened ox and hatred with it. In other words, you could have somebody that has very little, but they love and fear the Lord. They have yet another veggie meal. No steak. No hamburgers, asparagus, broccoli, but they love the Lord and there's joy in the home. Or you can have the, the other situation, they're, they're, the freezer's just packed seafood and steak and lobster, but there's, there's no love and affection for the Lord. There's no fear of the Lord. Think of the, the Christmas carol image of you have Scrooge and then you have the Cratchit family. The Cratchit family was very poor, but there was joy in the home. Scrooge was very rich, but he clung tightly to his riches. Which one are you? Which one do you want to be? That, that's, I think, one way to look at this passage. This is a, a pathway to joy. This is a pathway to real, lasting satisfaction. So that day when, when we have died and, and people are going through our stuff and like, oh, why do you have this? And why do you have that? And why do you keep this for 30 years? Um, There'll be no regrets. You're, you're with the Lord. Oh, Lord, I, I tried. I tried to keep my hands open to everything you gave, and I was generous, and I had my eyes fixed on being with you and living for you. So, a couple questions of evaluation. Who are you living for? What are you passionate about? What do you invest your time, energy, and money in? Where, where, do, where does... Just, if you're just sitting there, where do you gravitate towards? First Timothy, Paul says this, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, not to be proud. Now listen to this. Nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, 
Riches have wings at times and they just fly away. And that, that happens. We live in a, a fallen world. But if your hope is on God who richly provides us everything to enjoy, see, things are given by God to enjoy, not to worship, not to live for. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. So God may give you many things. Really, living in this country, we just have way more things than, than many parts of the world, even if you comparatively have little. The point is this. The psalmist says this in Psalm 62:10, If riches increase, set not your heart on them. If money increases, your bank account increases, you own your home, you own property, you own other things, set not your heart upon them. Lord, I will hold them loosely. I will be generous with them and I will live for you. Back to Solomon, he says this, Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him. For this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is a gift of God. So we, we thank the Lord. We don't worship these things. We don't live for them. And we, we want to be generous with, with his cause and the spread of the gospel. So as you're, as you're thinking about things and you're, Lord, where am I on this spectrum of living for you versus living for the world? Where, where does the gap need to close? Talk to the Lord. Talk to your Christian friends. Talk to your small group and ask the Lord to help you. So when you're enjoying something, it's not the Lord's will that you feel guilty, but your heart is grateful for the Lord, thankful to the Lord. And so whether you're like, I like to ride bikes. So I went for a bike ride yesterday. Lord, thank you for this bike. Thank you for this beautiful day. Uh, thank you for the gift of health. Uh, we, we, can, we can honor the Lord. Uh, Corinthians says, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do it all for the glory of God. It's all about your heart's disposition. We have a Lord and Savior who has died for us, is one day going to return, and we're going to be with him forever. And he wants our heart and affections. As we grow in being heavenly-minded, there will be more joy. There will be more peace. There will be more satisfaction. There will be more hope for what is to come. So as we, we close today, we're going to sing a final song. As we sing this song, I want you to, to talk to the Lord about where you are with your treasure. If he is your delight and treasure, you tell him that. If, it, if it's gotten divided, you confess that and ask him to renew you and restore you. So let's all stand and pray. If I could have the band come up. Jesus, thank you that you don't just leave us where we're at. You don't just look at external actions, but you want our hearts. You came to capture our love and affection. And Lord, we, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would convict us where conviction needs to be. We pray that there would be a, just a, a great delight and joy of our salvation. And 
Lord, we pray we would all experience the freedom that you desire for us in this area of money and possessions and what awaits us in eternity. Lord, we we love you and we trust you. And we ask all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.